Movies entertain. Entertainment leads to emotions. Those emotions connect us to our enjoyment of film. And that is why we exist, to focus more on the emotional connection than the technical merit. Because every movie makes us feel something. Hey listeners, welcome to a new episode of the Feelin' Film Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Aaron, and with me for this conversation about the newest Marvel superhero origin story is my good friend and co-host, Coles. Hey everybody, how y'all doing out there in the wonderful land of America? <laughs> Hopefully they're doing well, and I would say they're all watching football, but by the time they're listening to this, they'll only have like one game left on Monday night to watch, so... Uh, but hopefully they were watching football this weekend. I know I watched a ton of football. It has nothing to do with Marvel, <laughs> but that's what I did. Uh, it was a good sports weekend for me in particular. I, I had a blast. Well, we had planned for this episode to be an, one with the entire trio of our hosts. So it was going to be myself, Coles, and Patrick all together. But unfortunately, Patch had some heavy family commitments this weekend, and he could not make it. We would have loved to have him with us, but hey, especially considering the themes of this film, we're always going to support each other for putting family first. And with that, we are going to just get ahead and jump right into this. This is your spoiler warning. This is the show where we go in depth and we talk about the plot and the themes and everything that we possibly can. So if you have not seen Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings yet, by all means, if you feel safe enough, we recommend that you do so. We are both big fans. We think it's a great movie and well worth spending your money on if you are going to make a trip to the theater. So do that before you listen to this podcast or put us on the queue and come back to us eventually once this movie is on Disney+. Plus. Who knows when that'll be, but it will be eventually. Well, Coles, I was able to go to the press screening for this film. You were not. And so because of that, we didn't get to talk about this beforehand when you when the movie first came out when i was doing the initial ff plus review we had our buddy eman come on the show which was awesome but because of that i actually have no earthly idea what you think about the movie and i thought maybe we would just start there like what are your kind of high level overall feelings about it like how did you come out of this and i'll start with this maybe you can frame your thoughts around this you know i mentioned in the intro this is another marvel superhero origin story and it's quite possible that people could be getting burnt out on superhero origin stories because we seem to get a lot of them. But yet this movie seems to be doing really well. So maybe it's doing something different or something unique. I don't know. But there's a reason that this one is resonating with people right now. And and so I wondered, you know, how it worked for you. Is that the case? Did you love it or are you kind of burned out? What's going on? Impressed is what I will say about this film. I came into this film pretty much clear of knowing anything about the hero. This is a new story for me, Marvel story, that I wasn't really privy to. I didn't even know that it had existed until it was announced a couple of years ago that it was being made. And I was like, okay, who is this hero? And coming into it, I expected this to be an origin story that at least would have the same impact for the Asian community like Black Panther did for the Black community all across the world. So I was already impressed with that, you know, seeing Asian representation, which is not often in superhero films. But also the action of this film is fluid, it's smooth, and it hits hard in a lot of moments. And there are times where you do see the normal high-octane action that Marvel is known for, you know, with the slick camera movements and just the hard-hitting punches and the payoff moments. But then you also get the beauty of films like Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, and Heroes. These foreign films that were able to show martial arts and almost violence as being sort of beautiful, like a ballet dance. There were a couple of scenes in this film where people are fighting with each other, but it almost feels like a ballroom dance. Like people are knowing each other and their personalities through the way that they fight. And it's very important because there's one character who has this 10 rings. He has 10 rings. He has the most powerful force in the world and then this other person who has this power that was gifted to him by the gods and whatnot and just seeing both of those play off each other it, it was beautiful it was romance but also with a little bit of action in it which is what you don't often see the leading hero i was afraid i saw some early reviews saying that 
he was almost a typical hero that you would see in a Marvel film, that there wasn't anything dynamic about him. Really? I, I see your face. And yes, I was shocked too when I found out, no, this guy has a very compelling arc. This is a character who is slow adulting, who really doesn't know what he wants to do with his life. <laughs> and me as a millennial, I'm not at that phase, but I once was there. So that really hit me home. And then there's also the idea of this guy who is trying to run away from his past. And it speaks to how daily we as humans, we try to run away from all of the past mistakes we've made, all the accidents, all the trauma. And yes, it's good to like not let that weigh you down and carry on and let you hinder yourself from living life. But your past also is what makes you you. I I credit my I credit my bad times in the past for getting me to where I'm at now in a better in a better spot. And by the end of this film, you see that the hero he has taken everything that has hurt him in the past and it's been able to make him stronger. And I know that we've seen that in a lot of other heroes' journey films, but in this film, it felt it felt rather realistic and not in a sense to where we have these cheesy little cliches where. The guy gets knocked down and then someone's like, hey, come on, get up, get up. No, it's nothing like that. It's about a guy who is learning how to become an adult and who is learning how to take the pain and darkness that took away his childhood in order to shy away from that and to become a better adult. Oh, man, all that stuff. Cosine. Yes. Agreed. A hundred and ten percent. I'm right there on the same page. I I was blown away by the movie. I I just I loved it so much. I had such a good time. And and I thought it was fresh. And, you know, we're going to go all over the place while we talk about it. But I I wanted to start there with that kind of overview. And I think you hit on so many great things to dig into. One of which that just spoke to me right there in the moment was, you know, you're mentioning how he goes on this journey, how Shang goes on this, like, character's, you know, origin story type path. But one thing that is very different than what I feel like most superhero stories that we get show us is how for 90% of this movie, maybe 95% of this movie, Sean is not working with some sort of superpower. He doesn't have the rings. He isn't special in a sense. Like, I mean, he's been highly trained. So he is, you know, very powerful. He He's learning. He does learn his mother's a little bit of his mother's style, but it's really not about combat. It's about a sense of peace and a sense of like feeling in the way that he approaches the fight. And that's very different than the, the majority of the superhero story. So it's usually, you know, someone gets the super serum and now they're a hero, right? Or rich Tony Stark builds a suit and now he's a hero. Mm -hmm. Sean doesn't need the 10 rings necessarily to be a hero in this movie. It's not like that. That's not what we're building to in a way. I didn't feel like the movie was all about like, we got to hurry up and get him the 10 rings so he can be Shang-Chi. No, like to me, he's the hero with or without the tool. And I thought that that was a really kind of unique piece of the way that this origin story was handled there's also a sensitivity to sean which is often what you don't get in heroes especially superhero films we often see the superhero is the ultimate representation of the uberman uh, he's he is the all-powerful nothing can stop him he's impervious to like feelings he's impervious to weakness he's just strong everything and i think that is a factor to why superman even though he has made, there have been great films made about Superman, he's a character that you almost find it hard to really connect with because he has no weaknesses. And us, as humans, we have strengths and weaknesses. And I think with Sean, you see in his character that he has been trained to become this master weapon, this fighter, this guy who's capable of defeating large foes, but he's also this man who has a sensitive heart. You know, he learned that from his mother. You see that he has to abandon his sister early in his life and you see how his dysfunction with his sister is hurting his heart you see that he has a best friend named katie who's been with him since they were in high school and you see that he has feelings for her but he's not sure about where to take it really the next place for their relationship you see that this guy is having struggles his the enemy of this film is his father his own father how 
how horrible could that be for a son to have to go against their father and for a father and a son to not be able to come together and be able to squash beef and squash the violence between one another and have that parental relationship it's it's a it's a sobering thing to think about and it's not often you see that in a superhero film where the hero can come out as being powerful but also be able to be vulnerable and show their real feelings and actually be a real character for the most part. Oh, uh, yeah, I agree. And I think, you know, in, in some ways, it's a little bit like Thor and Loki in their relationship and their relationship with their father. Not a direct comparison, but in in general, in the way that that is a driving plot point for the character development. And so maybe we can start with the relationships then because you mentioned them. And so Sean and Katie, right? Super fun. Aquafina, I think, has proven now many times in the last several years that she is such a talented actress. She can do drama. So if you haven't seen The Farewell, you need to see The Farewell because she can do drama. But she is Mm -hmm. really at home with like this comedy bit. But she has a nuanced subtlety to her that, that takes it to a serious place at moments that matter. And I think she does that really well. I think a lot of comedy actresses can't hit that. Like they can be funny, but they can't be serious. And and Aquafina kind of understands that balance really well, I think. And I enjoyed their relationship quite a bit. I, I thought for me, their relationship in particular was a big part of kind of the cultural impact of the movie because I had a couple of my Asian American friends who actually messaged me after this and they were raving about the film. They had been nervous and we talked about it. I talked about it with them because they were like, I don't want them to do this wrong. But they both came out just so pleased with the representation and little things that I would have never in a million years thought of as important, like the Gangnam style joke. And one of them actually pointed out directly to me, they were like, look, that's a real thing. Like I, I, when that song came out, I got so many people asking me and making that joke to me. And it was a matter of like how Americans tend to see all Asians as the same. And there were little details like that. They talked about how the, the way that their parents, uh, Katie's parents kind of push them and push her. And it's, it's all about like, listen, we came to America for you to do something, for you to be something. Like, this is a part of their culture. They 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 are driven to do that. And so it's something that they struggle with because they feel like they can't let their families down, right, for the sacrifices that their families made. That's a big theme within this movie as well. And I, and I just think we get a lot of that in Sean and Katie's relationship. And like you said, the, the kind of undertone of romance between them that is really never confirmed, honestly. It's just kind of hinted at. I love that. I like that's fine. Let's 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 long play it, man. We got this is the beginning of phase four, right? We got a whole long way to go for them to have a moment that if they're gonna come together, they come together. But on the same side, I love that they can just be really close friends who love each other. They don't even have to have a romance for me to appreciate the way that they are when they're a pair. You know, she refuses to let him go. To Macau by himself because she's like, no, like I'm coming with you. I've been by your side and I'm going to support you no matter what you're doing and no matter whether I understand what the heck is going on or not. And it's great. It's it's absolutely just a really wholesome relationship. I think that we have become, as an audience, we have become, you know, so desensitized with both all the romantic comedies, all the love stories we've seen come out of Hollywood since the beginning of the industry is that, hey, guys and girls, they can't just be friends. You know, they have to be in a relationship where one of them has to be romantic with one another. Like, when are when are we going to get back to the days where we get the male and female buddy comedies of like Whoopi Goldberg used to do back in the 80s? You know, when are we going to get those kind of films again? Because I can tell you in real life, I have females who are just friends, just platonic friends. There is no instance or any hit of us wanting to be romantic or in love with each other. Um, I already have a girlfriend. And so it was nice to see in this film that even by the end of Sean and Katie, we see, okay, well, they're not exactly romantic, but they're just homies. They're still cool with each other. They're still going to be going on this journey together, helping one another 
transverse through all the barriers and pitfalls that they have with this new life, which is becoming a part mostly of the Avengers. Hopefully we'll see that within the next iteration of this film or when's the next time we see this character, which could possibly be in the new Doctor Strange sequel given the end credits. But another thing about Sean and Katie is that they're bonded by a lot of things, but one thing is that by the end of the film, they come to understand that they can't really live their life according to what other people set them up to be. I know you had talked about how Katie's parents and Sean's parents, you know, they're trained from a young age. Like, this is what this is what we want you to be. His, their family is like, okay, we trained you to be this. We trained you to be that. Why are you not doing this? Like, why are you working as a valet driver, taking driving other people's cars and just taking tips? Like, don't you... Don't you hate your life? And then I, I love that earlier in the film, Katie's like, no, I love my job. It's, it's very easy to do. And so often we see if people are stuck in jobs, such as like being a valet driver or working in retail or fast food, like what's the what's the worry or the problem if somebody loves where they work at, no matter how much they pay? You know, there's an, em- there's an emphasis, especially in America, where you have to just get all the resources you can. You have to make as much money as possible. You have to achieve the American dream. but What's so bad about having a simple life? And even though they're not going to have a simple life due to Sean and his abilities and Katie and her abilities, I mean, at the end of the day, they're kind of just knowing people who were able to stumble upon, you know, becoming heroes. It, it wasn't a thing where they were expected to be heroes, but they became heroes because when the opportunity presented itself, they were able to achieve. Yeah, that's good stuff, man. And I think it's cool because he has multiple relationships with very important females too in his life. We don't get to see him have a relationship with his mom as an adult, obviously, because she was killed. And we have this relationship where it's sort of a a combination of like these important women that are contributing to him. We have Katie, and then we also have his sister, Sha Ling, who he obviously has a very conflicted relationship with especially from her side because she feels abandoned and their story was really cool to me. I think, is it Daniel Destin Cretton? I, I get his name wrong so many times. It's it's either Daniel Destin Cretton or Destin Daniel Cretton. Destin but, Daniel Cretton. Okay. <laughs> DD Cretton. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, so, you know, he, he came from the indie world, right? And he made movies such as the incredible short-term 12 which is a very emotional drama and and there is nothing superhero or blockbuster about it. And what I found is he really brought that sensibility into this story because the relationship between Shang and Sha Ling is one that unfolds over the course of the movie and we get these cool little reveals. It's, it's like a mysterious... It's very interestingly done. So the movie doesn't overtly sell itself as this mystery where you're as a viewer constantly wondering how did this happen or how did that happen that's not really on your mind when you're watching the film but as it progresses we get flashbacks that show us a little bit more and kind of fill in some interesting pieces of the history to why these characters are the way they are like we we know Shang left, right? And that he left after his father. We see his father in the, early in the movie give him the, the weapon and say, you know, go or whatever. You're going to go on this hit. But it's not until much later that we learn, oh, he was actually going to do the hit on the guy that killed his mom that was responsible for that. And then it's not even until later after that that we understand that he actually went through with it and that he had lied about it. And that, oh, he didn't leave, you know, he left his sister and didn't come back to his sister. We learn about that later as well. Early in the movie, he just says, oh, you know, I wasn't able to get back to her. Well, were you not able to get back to her? Or was it, and then we, okay, no, it's a choice, right? And so we're kind of learning about their relationship and it's unraveling as we go. And I really, I thought it was impactful for me because we, we see her be so upset with him, but we don't, fully understand why until later in the movie as its pieces are are put to the puzzle because we can understand in the beginning yes she felt abandoned but i think the movie does a great job of making us sort of 
kind of waffle back and forth. Like, do we, do we want to blame him or not blame him? And how much is he responsible for, should he have left her? Should he not have left her? And it gets to the point where that becomes this big thing is his regret and his feelings of shame that he's carried for all this time. And he just can't get past it. And that's what his aunt or his auntie Nan, as her name is in the movie, the uh, illuminate Michelle Yeoh, who tells him she's like, you, this is where you've got to accept that this is part of your past, right? Like you made mistakes. You're not perfect. You're part of a history. Your father is not perfect and has has done horrible things. And that is part of who you are. But if you're going to get past it and you're going to have relationships with these people and you're going to be successful in life and, and be able to move on, like you've got to just know that that's who you are and then choose to be better, right? It's That's what it's about. It's not about letting that drive you. And that relationship with her for me is like, it's probably even more powerful than like his relationship with his dad i think because his abandonment of her hits me so hard it makes him not the perfect character to root for you know what i mean like he has something about him that you genuinely can say no dude that was wrong like i want you to be great but you need to apologize for that you need you know you know you made a mistake and now you do need to be able to like i understand i can sympathize with her yeah, the family relationship is complex and i think what destin does with this film is that he really gives you an eye into how family can fall apart i mean we see in the flashbacks that this family was doing pretty good for a while we saw that the father he had got he had finally found something that he had never been able to find before which is love which is a family, which is having people that you care about. It's not about, you know, going around the world and taking over everything. That gets old after a while. And it says in the film that he got bored with it because his army was the most powerful army in the world. But once he was able to find a wife and he was able to have kids, then he was able to find a purpose outside of just being this famous warrior. And we see that when the mother is sadly and tragically killed, we see that the family is never the same after that. And then we see that the father, he turns right back into being the guy he was before he had his wife. Once his wife was gone, he had nothing to lose at that point. He was like, I might as well just go back to being who I was because I had light in my life. And now that light has been turned out. And now all he can think about is just conquering and banishing anybody that sets in his path. And we see that he is training his son to be the same way. During the film, we see that his father wants him, wants Sean to be like him he wants him to work with him he wants him to hey i want you to take over the mantle like once i'm dead and gone you're going to be the guy that leads this army and you're going to be able to have all of this land and all of these people you're in control of but sean is a different kind of guy all thanks to his relationship with his mother he gets that soft and that vulnerable side he sees the good in things instead of just the bad he sees that having revenge and having vindication and having validation and having just killings on your heart, it can bring you down. It can make you a shell of yourself. It can make you become a person that you eventually hate to become. And we see towards the end that even though his father was a guy who did bad things, it doesn't really make him a bad person. We see that he is all, he's all about trying to fill a void in his heart. He's all about trying to get back his wife. He, the main reason why the third act is pretty much a full-on fight is because the father wants to reach back into this portal and be able to turn back time, per se. Be able to have his wife back again. Be able to have his happiness. And But once he sees that that's not going to happen, then it becomes a point of contention between him and his son, which he is able to finally understand that, oh, my wife is not coming back. But hey, I can still do the right thing for my kids. And we see that at the end, he has an actor sacrifice, which, in my honest opinion, redeems his character fully for me. I, I don't really even see the father as the villain of this film. I would say that he's less of a villain than what Killmonger was. I mean, this is this is a guy who has killed people, who has caused a lot of families pain, but it was all because that he was focused on the wrong thing. He didn't really have the right. He wasn't in the right mind state. He didn't really have the support and the love that he needed to keep him from going back into the dark ages again. 
Interesting. Okay. Interesting, interesting, interesting. So <laughs> I agree that it is an awesome relationship. And for the recce record, Tony Lung is just a, a legend, period, uh, of Asian cinema and of cinema in general. And I'm so glad that audiences are getting introduced to him, people who may not have been able to see his films yet. I highly recommend you seek out all of them because he is just amazing in everything he does. And I, I legitimately like Coles. He's on my short list for best supporting actor of the year right now, because I think he's that important to this movie. And because of all of these things that you're just now talking about, like these emotions and these, these complex things that he brings you to kind of deal with when you're reckoning with the reality of his character. I think that he is a character who by the end and even just in general, because of the, the the fact that he just wants to get his wife back is someone we can empathize with for sure. I don't feel like it's necessarily redemptive of him in full because we're talking about a person, a human being who has used this unearthed power for a literal thousand years of destruction and personal gain for himself. Like that's all it's ever been about is conquering. And so I don't just give somebody a pass because they didn't have love for a while. I think that's important though. I think that that's good. I think that's cool about this story. What I do get out of it is I like the idea that when he did find her, he was willing to set aside the things in his life, and I, and I think that's where we can get something out of this, right? Is we can substitute because you and I don't have ten rings to worry about, but <laughs> we can we can set aside something that maybe we know is unhealthy or or maybe something we shouldn't be doing in our lives, because we realize that there is something more important that is worth being a better person for. That is that's his arc, and that absolutely is something to be like applauded. And I think we can all relate to the idea of losing that thing that was driving you. And I think we can learn a lesson, too, from watching what happens to him, whereas he becomes so singularly focused on this one thing, on this one person, on his wife. I'll tell you, when, and this is, I guess, personal, but when I went through my second divorce, I had to actually think of which one it was. Um, one of my, my, my ex-wife once told me, she was like, look, I can't be everything for you. I can't be it all. I can't do, I can't do it all. I can't be there every single piece of your world. Right. And that's sort of what goes wrong for Win Wu is because every, his world is Lee, his wife and his kids are just like products of that. And what he has to know and learn and what we need to see is like, it's not, you can't just be, she can be that, she can be super important to you. It's understandable that you love your wife, but you, it, she is just a piece of your whole and, and it has to be more than that. And, and he's kind of treatment of his kids, his inability to have his kids be important enough to continue the man that he was shows us that he didn't ever really fully change because he still just wanted to be in control and have things the way he wanted them. Um, I, I love his sacrifice though. And I love the way that this goes down because you mentioned earlier, you know, it's like, it's not your typical villain type of story. It's not Shang versus his dad. His dad wants him by his side. And even when they are very briefly fighting each other, it's not ever like, I need to defeat you and kill you because you're in my way. It's, I'm really disappointed because I want you to join me and I just want you to get out of the way so I can get this thing done. And ultimately you're gonna understand because you're gonna get your mom back and we're all gonna be on the same page. And so it's like this, you're coming from different beliefs about a thing and it's impossible to come together when you have this different idea of the truth and yeah it's it's so beautifully like done in this fantasy world this marvel movie 
it's just really, really cool. And that relationship, the whole movie, all of the different relationships, they're, they're so, they have so many little intertwinings about them that I really enjoy. Yeah, I wanted to switch to the CGI because let, oh let me tell you that um, we when we talk about Marvel film, we usually always come up with a problem with visual effects. I mean, Disney, they have all this money in the vault and they just use only like $10 of it for the visual effects most of the time. But in this film, I found the CGI to be wonderful. I mean, I know that the third act turns really into a whole monster versus monster kind of effects extravaganza. But I really love the way the monsters look. I love the way the dragons look. I love the way the Ten Rings look when they are in operation. I really love the way that the camera is able to move around the environment. And nothing doesn't look very, you know, elementary or anything. It looked like that there was some passion, there was some work put into this movie. And I appreciate it, especially watching on a big theater screen like in Dolby Cinema. When that third act came around, I was on I was on the edge of my seat. I love the explosions. I love the costume design. I love just the different animations of the film. And it has me thinking that maybe this film is probably one of the best examples of Marvel using CGI, which is usually a problem area for them. So I think that parts of it, are most of it, I think is really good. I agree with you. I think that there are a couple of janky moments that <laughs> I, I'm gonna I really want to write it off honestly man like we've seen this now with F9 not Disney that one's not but F9 and then Black Widow so the films that have been finished during the pandemic and largely these movies are being done via remote work I think and, and so I, I really want to just give them a pass right now because there are a couple moments during the bus fight scene and they're, you know, when the Jeep goes over the edge of the cliff that I'm just like, oh, my gosh, like, that's not great. But it's also not horrible. Right. Um, but, oh, dude, the last battle, I you know, I can't say enough. I came out of that thing and I was just like. Final Fantasy summons. <laughs> this is a CGI cutscene in a newest video game. And I'm watching a dragon fight like a big monster beast thing. And it is absolutely amazing. And and it's a little like muddy, like on the screen it, it, or like not muddy, but it's a little, it's a little like too much messy. There's just so much going on that it's hard to mm -hmm. necessarily see everything clearly, but it looks so cool and so epic. And I think that that's totally fine. The rest of the CGI. Yeah. I mean, I think it's really well done. And I, and I think, you know, a couple things about, the CGI, one of the things would be the mythical creatures. I think that they look really neat in this movie. And I love the fact that, again, they took the cultural impact of this seriously. So one of the first things I did when I came home was Google whether I tried to find out whether this chicken pig thing, Morris, was real. And it is an actual creature in Chinese mythology, right? And like I that that kind of detail. I, I love it, man. I love that. And those creatures looked really cool. They looked really good with the characters. And then, you know, you have the CGI mixing with what is already just incredible choreography. So they used Jackie Chan's stunt team. And I think that that's pretty awesome because it really shows the choreography of the martial arts uh, fighting was great. And the Wuxia scenes where they're kind of like, floating at times or or the dance scenes but the way that they move man like on the building in macau when they're fighting on the the um outside of it on the rafters and stuff swinging around and stuff i mean it just it looks amazing and, and it, it is a real joy to watch that and the bus scene in particular those two fights are just i mean i could just rewatch them over and over and over because they're an absolute blast and so i think the visuals in general, like everything about this is pleasing to the eyes. And, and it is really has a great pace to the movie, but it just keeps you kind of engaged and entertained and it never overdoes it. And I think that the it has some restraint in that regard. And, and because of that, it allows those big set pieces to really just stay memorable when you walk out of the movie yeah for me the 
action was just like the frosting on the cake. You know, most of the cake is just seeing the family dynamic, seeing these actors, seeing these characters, the costume design, the attention to detail when it comes to culture and myth and folklore. Like, that is mostly the cake that you're eating when you're watching this film. The action is just a nice little bit of icing on there. And, you know, we saw from the bus fight, and I know that in our filling film discussion group, one of our good friends, Don, you know, he has a website, Every Movie Has a Lesson, go check him out, he's a great writer. But he put up a poll asking, did the bus scene in this film beat out the one from Bob, what's his last name? Uh, oh, I don't know if Don made the poll. I think maybe Don just commented on the poll. But it was, it was okay. yeah, Bob Odenkirk and Nobody versus Shang-Chi in this movie. Yeah, and I have to say, my answer to that would probably be, it's hard because nobody, it was hard to see that coming from a guy who plays Saul Goodman on Breaking Bad. In this film, it's kind of what's expected to see, but it's a nice spectacle because this is where Sean fully learns that we, we as audience learn, okay, this guy has a past. Because before, we don't really know what kind of skills he's had. We look at him as almost just like a normal guy. And Katie, her character is also shocked as well. She hasn't seen this side of her friend ever. And it's such a, and it's a nice little sequence. You know, we get not just to find the bus, but then we get, oh, the bus is like, crashing in the cars and the bus is like eventually coming hurt a lot of people unless katie gets in front of it and stops and i love that they make katie you know they get they get katie in on this action she's not just a character who gets kidnapped by the villains and the and the hero has to go fight to save her no she actually has an important part which is stopping the bus and getting in before a lot of people get killed so that's a good sequence the side of the building um what's it called again the macau is the city yeah the, yeah, the macau sequence uh, i just it was very acrobatic i mean you have guys just falling all over pipes guys swinging all around and the camera works really good too you know it's very easy to boggle a lot of action scenes because a lot of characters are so focused on realism what they'll do is they'll just like shake the camera around and you know have a little bit nice like little punches and little like kicks and everything and they'll call it a day but this film is all about choreography it's all about movement it's all about making it a dance it's making it pleasing to see not just worry about the impact and people getting beaten but also about the style about the flair and this film has a lot of it and this is marvel at its best you know of course we expect for marvel to be big budget and have the blockbuster moments but this film while being a blockbuster I mean, the action is just well-directed. I, I had no problems with whatever the directors or whether the cinematographers or choreographers had to do in those moments. It, it, it was great all around, and it plays pretty well when you have the big sound systems and you have the big screen. And I want to tell people, like, do not wait for this film to come on the Disney+. Plus. Like, go watch this on the big screen. This is definitely worth your $15. Yeah, absolutely. Did you have any issue with Katie serving such an important part in the final battle? She ends up, you know, so she takes up bow and arrow practice and less than 24 hours later, she makes the per most perfect epic shot into the, the throat of the mega soul sucker in order to release it from taking the great protector's soul. So like, did you have any issue with that? Or was it just kind of like one of the things you just accepted from a Marvel movie and character development? I did have a problem. And the problem is that it's not, the movie doesn't set up enough for Katie to be as good as she is to make that shot. You know, usually when, when, a, when a character like that makes an important shot like that, there's usually build-up to it. We usually see sequences of the character training, and we do get that, but not enough in this film. You know, the film doesn't really build up Katie to be that sharp marksman and everything. You know, because in the beginning, we're treated to Katie being somewhat kind of um whimsically slapstick. You know, she gets the car yes. when, when she gets the BMW when they're doing ballet, and she's like close to like getting into a lot of accidents. So she's seen as kind of a little bit clumsy and everything. And once she gets to the village and she's training, we see that she's hitting bows and arrows. But yeah, that's just training. I mean, this is like the Super Bowl right here. This is the game. Like, and this is a lot of pressure. And it's such a pinpoint shot. I would have liked to see like the film just 
show many montages, not montages, but show us just quick scenes of her getting better at making her shot. And then maybe having her make that shot on another animal beforehand. So then we already had the expectation that, hey, Katie's got this. You know, the reason why we don't see her a lot is because she's going to come in. But when she comes in, it feels like a Joyce Ex Machina moment. It feels like, okay, the heroes, they're on the ropes. They're about to get knocked out. But then, boom, all of a sudden, that angel comes out of nowhere and just gives them the advantage that they need. So great way to put it. I agree. And, I, you know, it's one of the few things that I kind of it was a nitpick. I, my only issues with this movie are nitpicks. But I was like, well, we've already seen the way that they it's it's such a diversion from the way they implement her in the bus scene. As you pointed out, we already have learned she loves to drive and that she that's a strength of hers because she's zipping around in the Ferrari, not hitting any cars. Right going at high speed. So we already have established that that's a skill she has. And it's like, well, you realized the cars don't matter in this final sequence. So you need to give her another skill. And Mm -hmm. the only way I could see it maybe retroactively working a little better is if the idea was, okay, so the moment Katie picks up the bow and arrow, she's able to have, she has instant skill. Like she instantly takes to it. That's what we see. In the only understandable thing would be like, is she somebody down the road that we didn't understand yet? Like, we don't know yet, but that's going to come into play where she finds out that that was her inherent skill that she just never got around to discovering before. If it's a matter of like her having to get better at it, yeah, that it doesn't work that well from a story perspective. And, and I also think that it really is meant to give her something combat wise because they want to carry that character on. I I mean, I know this is like, I'm trying to, I'm explaining it via like big Marvel picture storytelling type of direction, but that's the reality is they want Aquafina to carry on with this character. You know, she goes with Shang in the end when Wong comes to get him and they meet the Avengers, like she's with him. Like she, he even says, he's like, you both are coming. Like you're both, you're part of this now. Right. And so in order to have her do that and tag along, if she doesn't have something she can contribute directly to combat, then she's happy. Right. Like who else is? She's happy essentially. (laughs) And that character becomes just an afterthought most of the time, except for comedic moments. You can't have her be a serious part of your ongoing storyline unless she can do something. And so I I believe that's probably why they wanted her to do something. I, I You know, maybe she's B- Kate Bishop. I don't know. But <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> I mean, her name is Katie. So that would be freaking wild, honestly, is if somehow... I know they've already cast Kate Bishop, though, I think, for the, the yeah, series, right? Series. So, so that doesn't work, but that would have been kind of cool. Katie, Kate, you know, if that would have been a twist, and she's really Kate Bishop or whoever, but... Yeah, I, yeah, that was kind of one of my own things. The other thing I've seen people complain about, and I wanted to get your take on, was your feeling about the inclusion of uh, the amazing Ben Kingsley as Trevor, a.k.a. Mandarin. Hilarious moment at the dinner table when Tony Lung and his character, Wen Wu, says, you know, America coward because of an orange. <laughs> I'm just like, you're right. We were dumb. But um, yeah, so I, did you... Did you think he was in it enough? Were you glad he was there? Was it too much? How did that play? I was glad he was there. It just brought me back great memories of Iron Man 3, which I saw for the first time last year, and it's turned out to be one of my favorite MCU films. And I actually loved the Mandarin character in that film. I mean, I know a lot of people were kind of like not pleased with the setup and the payoff when it came to that character, but I thought that he fulfilled his role very well, and I loved Ben Kingsley as an actor. And it was a pleasant surprise to see him in this film. I was happy. I turned to my girlfriend. I was like, that's the Mandarin right there. And she hasn't seen Iron Man 3 yet, so she didn't really get the connection. But I told her, no, he's very important. You know, he was in Iron Man 3 and boom, boom, boom. Seeing him in this film, I did like the scenes he was in. He wasn't in there too much, which I was afraid of. I was like, okay, is he going to be a major supporting character? Is he going to have an effect on this final battle? Like, what are they going to do for this guy? But they just put him in a couple of scenes where they allow him to show that hey at the end of the day i'm just an actor you know i I, i'm not a real superhero i'm not a real terrorist i'm not a real anything i've just had a passion for acting 
And I love the scene of where he's describing where he got his passion for becoming a performer from. That gives the a Planet of the of, Apes. <laughs> yes, yeah, so a Planet of the Apes. Thinking he said that the monkeys were really riding the horse, and he didn't see that there were humans inside the monkeys of the costumes. I, great detail right there. He was great in this mm-hmm. film. He was great. Now I don't know where they can go with this character. Maybe this might be the end of the road for him, but. Maybe in the future, hopefully we can see another unsurprising Mandarin cameo. Yeah, I, I liked it. I thought that, so I, like you, enjoy Iron Man 3 a lot more than the normal kind of average consensus is for that movie. And I like the <laughs> idea a lot of how they had an actor play a terrorist. Like that, that seems like a really realistic kind of a plot line to me um, for the world in general. It makes sense. And I, I you know, I think a lot of people who follow these movies get bogged down in wanting them to be exactly like their comics. And honestly, it's probably a benefit for maybe me and you who don't read all the comics. And so we're not tied to this like old, we don't have like a history with a Mandarin character who we need to be a certain way in order for us to enjoy it. We're just like, cool. That's a cool movie thing. Like, and and it worked. So I thought it was cool to bring him back. And I, Thought he maybe slightly was a little too heavy, just a little over the top, but but really not much at all. I think that they could have overdone it a lot worse. Um, And I just, I like the fact that he was kind of tied to Morris and this idea of, you know, oh, this thing is real and you can actually see it. And they had a real cute little relationship. I'm not going to lie. That scene at the end when it looks like he's dead in the middle of the battle and Morris is like up there about to cry and he's like, I'm playing dead. Get down here. You know, and then Morris is like (laughs) flops over to play possum with him. That's so sweet. Right. And that's the kind of Marvel little cameo type, like one hitter type comedy that I enjoy. It's it's in it's it's moving or impactful. And then you're moving on. You're back to the story. So I liked him. I, I agree. And I thought it was cool. And it was one of the things that I railed against about just spoilers in general and people who all these websites who they saw Ben Kingsley at the premiere of the movie a couple of weeks before everybody got to see it and everybody put in their headline. Oh, he's in the Mandarin's in the movie. Right. And it was like, let people be, I didn't know that. So when I got to see this movie, it was a complete shock when they walked into that room and it was him. And for me, I got a huge amount of joy in seeing that and not knowing. And it just, I hate so many websites just take that away from people because they want a click to drive their revenue, right? Like you don't give a crap about anybody's actual experience with a movie. You just want them to click on your thing. And and it bums me out. But. We're we're so far from the days where if you wanted movie news, you had to really look at Premier Magazine, Entertainment Weekly, Variety. You had to go in and get information. But even then, the information wasn't all about spoiling the experience. It was all about giving you news about, okay, this person cast for this film. This person cast for that film. But now in a social media era, it's all about getting viewership. It's all about getting followers. It's all about getting likes, retweets. It's all about getting the clout. So now any tidbit of information that is sure to be a big news for a film or that's going to be a surprising revelation for the audience, now people are willing to jump on that and use that information to catapult themselves up into being these reporters that get looked at. And while it may work for their career, it doesn't work for the viewer, which is the most important thing about filmmaking. Directors, oftentimes they'll tell you, yes, I'm making a film for myself. I'm making it because it's a passion. But most of the time they're making a film to entertain the audience, to give the audience a good time, to make the audience think. And when we now live in an era where that sense of surprise, that sense of, oh, wow, I didn't see that coming, it's gone, it really takes away from the experience. I, I feel that now I can't watch any more trailers now. I can't because I want to go know. in just with a clear head. I want to go in and be able to be wowed by a film based on its merit, not based on expectations, not based on a cool-looking trailer, which I understand trailers are an art, but how about we just get to a point where okay, share this bit of news about the film, but don't share any scenes. Don't share any developments. Don't share any new characters being introduced. Just put your film out there and let the audience and the critics decide for themselves. Yeah, and make it like make people make it where people have to actually choose to seek it out, right? So we do a podcast. Mm-hmm. We do our FF Plus episodes. We're reviewing movies. I personally 
don't listen to people like us because I don't want to know anything about the movie. <laughs> person, like I'm good with being like on, like just being surprised. Like you just talked about, I'm not watching trailers either anymore. And you know, I, but we exist because there are people who want that content and that's totally fine if that's the way you want to experience movies, but you got to come get it. And, and we don't even go into spoilers, but like you got to choose to turn it on and listen to it, knowing what you're going to get. That's why I just can't stand, like, it sucks because, you know, we want to be a part of social media and have fun conversations. You've tried to leave Twitter like three times this year and you keep coming back. Like, it's it's cool. There's a cool community to talk about stuff, but you inadvertently have to deal with the crap that comes with it and all of the, mm-hmm. not just hateful people, but just general, like, to quote Will Wheaton, people who are a dick. You know, they don't understand the rules. Don't be a dick. And they just post crap all the time to intentionally ruin things for people because I don't know, maybe they didn't have enough love as a child. Who knows? But uh, yeah, anyway, (laughs) enough of that rant. So I guess to wrap up, I wanted to talk about the the post-credit scenes because, you know, like most movies in Marvel or like, I guess, all movies in Marvel, I should say, uh, there are post-credit scenes. And I, I love to see that my theater, people get it now. I, I don't think there's maybe two people out of a packed theater that got up. Everybody else just stayed in their seats. So people understand now it's like a norm. So we got two scenes. We get the scene with the Avengers, with Bruce Banner and Captain Marvel. And then we get the scene at the very end, which I think is really cool as well, which shows Shaoling, who has now taken command of the Ten Rings. She has her little sidekick dude, who's hilarious, uh, with her up there on the stage. And she has uh, Razor Fist <laughs> also, like, in her employ. And she has, she's fulfilling her dream, which is she's all about gender equality. I love the way that plays out in this movie because it's very natural that she would be suppressed by her father because that's the culture that he came up in and that's what he has is going to project forward and she's like no i'm going to change that right i'm going to i'm going to make it the way that it should be and it should be different and i love that and i also love like she's putting her own flair we we see her room she's actually taking down things from her her teenage room when we first see it and you can see like there's all these like punk music posters and and artwork and stuff and if you notice when they pan out on the screen they show the tin rings compound and there's all this graffiti on the walls and it's it's basically like retelling the fight sequence of what happened at the battle in talo it's really sick and and it's just a really cool like additional touch to be like no this is now mine like i'm now the person in charge of this this organization and it's hopefully not going to be about murdering anymore. So, uh, yeah, I, I loved both of the post-credit scenes in this. I, I wondered what you thought about them. I actually didn't get to stay to stick around for the second cutscene. So, I uh, thank you for really well, explaining that it. out and everything. And I and I love that that was a nice touch because the sister character of this film, you know, she find her first in the beginning just really struggling to see that her brother has come back into her life she thought that he was dead she had kind of like put him away into the waste basket of her mind and she had built an empire for herself and now that we see that she now has her father's empire but she's going to turn it into a tool of good a tool of okay we're gonna do things my way and we're gonna change the quota we're gonna change the old school methodology of this so that's a nice touch I love the first cutscene with um, Sean and Katie talking to Juan and Captain Marvel and Bruce Banner. It made me excited. It made me wonder, will we see Sean in the new Doctor Strange film? I know it's a far shot, but I have my theories that he could be in the new Doctor Strange sequel. And I'm wondering what his role would be when it comes to him being a part of the Avengers. Because I know in the comics, he does end up having a arc with the Secret Avengers and Steve Rogers. But I'm wondering how they're going to make this operate in Phase 4. It, it, it's a very interesting time, but like like you said before, Marvel, they're known for this. This is their game. This is what they make their bread and butter out of. For me and my, and my crowd, it wasn't as packed as yours, I'm sure. 
But I saw a fair amount of good people leave, and I'm I was thinking like maybe Come they're on. newbies, maybe Come like on, folks. maybe they didn't care about staying for for credit scenes. But I mean, how could you not? I mean, it's Marvel. It, it should be expected at this point. <laughs> it should. It should. Yeah. Oh man, you. I'm sure it'll be online at some point, and you can watch it. But it is. It's really fun. Just it just shows her in her bedroom, and she's taking things off her wall as if to say, "Look, I'm turning the leaf right," and then. Um, Razor Fist, I think it is, walks in and he's like, they're ready for you, ma'am. And she kind of comes out and she sits in this big chair and it starts to pan out on her from like looking in at her. The camera starts to pan out wide and she just says, all right, let's get to work. And then it goes into like a really great like score. And as it pans out, you see people all around her like meeting and like you, know, you can tell it's like financial folks and like people in suits and stuff. And then it keeps going out and you see the compound and on the grounds of the compounds, there's like rows and rows of women training. And as it continues to pan out, then you see rows and rows of men training and then the graffiti that's being put up all around the compound walls. And you realize like she is now in control of the 10 rings and it is now going to be a mixed gender or organization. And it's really, really cool. Uh, but yeah, like uh, the first one, I want to know, and I this annoys me because I saw the tra- I didn't see the trailer, but I heard the trailer. And in the Eternals trailer, there's something about like a signal. They say something about a signal, right? Because I somebody says something like, why'd you let all this stuff happen for the last thousand years? And then somebody's like, well, now there's a signal or whatever. And in this movie's post credit scene, which is the one right before Eternals, they determine that the rings are putting out some sort of a beacon. And I'm wondering if the rings are the thing that has somehow connected the Eternals and is going to awaken them or drive them to come, whatever. Somehow, some way, you know, it it could be. I don't know. Um, Also, it could be Doctor Strange uh, related. I I mean, obviously, (laughs) Wong is a big part of this. And so I feel like those are definitely going to those characters are definitely going to play together at some point. But yeah, it's it's great stuff. Um, It's just these movies are good. And and this one is a lot of fun. And for this to be the kind of true kickoff to phase four, whereas Black Widow was more of a prequel. I think Marvel still got it is all you can say and bring it on, man. Bring on these new indie type directors doing blockbuster movies and giving people chances. You know, we've seen it now with Ryan Coogler, you know, and then we saw it, you know, with Daniel Dustin Cretton. I probably said it wrong again, Didi Cretton. And now we're going to see it with Chloe Zhao. And, you know, it's they're just they're turning out great. So I'm excited for the future. I am as well. And I feel that shang chi this film should have been the first film released once we got through all the delays i feel that black widow i mean yes black widow is a good film but i feel that this is a film that really shows that marvel is back in the theaters and it's ready to show you a good time and i'm excited that this film is having as much success and getting the critical recession that it deserves because i know before people were kind of cold on it people were saying it was a test movie because this is where disney is releasing this in theaters for 45 days and they're putting on the disney plus and i know some of the cast members were kind of like put off by that but i'm just glad just to have blockbusters back on the big screen again you know i was very worried that you know with this new delta variant that movie is going to be closed down again but now we see that with this film and its opening weekend that there is a business for big films there is a business for films that many people are excited for and this may be more excited for eternals which comes out in november so hey everything is grand everything is blossoming right now if you're a film lover yeah absolutely my friend well thank you for the awesome conversation Um, That is it from us. Be sure to give us a follow on social media channels. All of those links are in your show notes. Come join the Feelin' Film Facebook discussion group and talk movies with us all day, every day, all week, every week. And until then, keep feeling film and Coles, we will talk very soon. Hey, everyone. Thanks again for listening. If you enjoy the show, we'd love to hear from you. You can leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you're listening. These help increase visibility for the show and grow our community of listeners like you. 
We also invite you to connect with us further by joining our ever-growing Facebook discussion group. A link to that is in the show notes, or you can just search on Facebook and find us that way. If you'd like to continue the conversation with me, you can follow the show on Twitter, at Phil, or connect with me in the Facebook group. I'm very active in both places and would love to chat. And if you want to connect with me, you can find me at Shoeless Patch on both Facebook and Twitter. Be sure to tag me in any comments so that I'll be notified and not miss you. Once again, thank you for listening. We'll be back soon. Until then, stay positive. And keep feeling filled.